This is The Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, presented by Big O Tires. Stop by your locally owned Big O Tires for no credit needed financing and the best prices on tires. Big O Tires, the team you trust. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Want to remind you about our friends at Zero Res. When I get the carpets clean, it's never just clean. It's Zero Res clean, and I won't have it any other way. Just $33 per room clean, plus the fourth room is free. You deserve the best. You deserve Zero Res. Schedule with Zero Res today. We're going to talk to David Locke here momentarily. His uh, visit on the Big Show presented, as always, by our friends at the Murdoch Auto Group. Get his thoughts on the finals. What's going on over there? Got a weird think, look on your face. No, what are you think, planning? Uh, no, I was thinking of something funny, but it has nothing to do with uh, David Locke. And? It's nothing. <laughs> it's nothing. Inconsequential, as far as you know. <laughs> it's been a weird day today, hasn't it? Way weird. What'd you have for breakfast this morning? Magic mushrooms? No. I beg your pardon. I've never done that. This week? Never. What did I have for breakfast? I think I had some, uh, I, I had some, a, a trail mix crackers. Pretty good, actually. Not bad. Trail mix crackers? How do you make trail mix into a cracker? I don't. They did. I like them. They're good. A little bit on the sweet side, but good. This is just <laughs> thrilling. Okay. It's almost as thrilling as when I was describing the sandwich I was making back in the day, the cheese sandwich. I remember that. Uh, wow. Well, <laughs> it stands out in your mind. Not in a good way. <laughs> of course not. No. All did right. I tell you I watched 100 Rifles last night? Did you I did. You mentioned that. Yeah, that was that was a highlight of the show for me. <laughs> I was right off the bat. That As I beginning. mentioned, David's visit brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Group. Let's get out to the Smart Rain special guest line. It's no mystery. Utah's in extreme drought. That is why Smart Rain is the solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation smartly. Find out more at smartrain.net. He is the radio voice of the Utah Jazz. David Locke, what's going on, David? Not much. I'm just sitting here in the blistering sun on the hottest day in Salt Lake. Save water. Yeah, no kidding. Smart rain. Smartrain.net. That's right. Do everything. Don't have the don't have your faucet running when you're brushing your teeth. Don't do you know all those things. You know, and another thing that folks can do is like when you're turn your shower on, you know, and you want uh, to uh, to wait for the water to warm up. Capture that in a bucket and use it. That's later. a California boy right yep, there. Indeed. That's a California boy. Exactly you and I grew up in California close enough same time. Did you shower in, in uh, garbage cans too? <laughs> I never did that. No. Did you grow yeah, up we in California? Shower in garbage no, cans. I just yeah. lived there. Well, you, were in Southern California. you were in Southern California, right? You just stole yeah. all our water while we had to conserve. I remember that. 
Yeah, how's Owens you Lake? Southern California how's, pigs. How's, how's Owens Lake doing these days? Didn't they? Have That's to, right. Have Southern California just use all our water. Northern California, we were showering in garbage cans. Yeah. I'm just trying to drink more beer. <laughs> that's a great idea. Yeah. See, that's... you know what? I, I I don't know if you know this story about me, but in 19 um, this is actually a totally crazy story. But in 1986, which is the middle of still communist Russia, I went to the Soviet Union. Wow. And um, you literally brushed your teeth with vodka. Hmm. Because um, you didn't trust the water. You want to hear the craziest part about that? Well, story? That, real to... quick, that would probably kill yeah. the germs. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, you know? true. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, I learned how to. I learned how to drink at 16 years old in <laughs> the Soviet Union. Um, I well, went as an unaccompanied minor in 1986 to the Soviet Union. How's that? What was it like over there, Dave? Um, so I, it was incredible. Um, you know, it was not advanced at all, and yet the people were. I went and, you know, did all the things I wasn't supposed to do, like, you know, met up with other kids in town and stuff like that and traded Levi's for flags and Russian dolls. And they, you know, those kids seemed fine. They were scared. Um, We did have an interesting thing. We went skiing in what's now probably where the Olympics were in Sochi. um, And we went into town after skiing for a little while. I mean, I have a million stories on this, but, um, and we were drinking Piva on the um, deck of this little, like, town shop, and all the people would say hi to us, and all of a sudden they stopped, and we noticed there were two guys across the street that were watching us, which we're pretty certain were KGB. Mm-hmm. Um, though I saw the bread lines that existed, you know. So, I mean, it was just an incredible trip. I was obsessed as a kid. I didn't understand why I was supposed to hate these people. Um, as a Cold War product, it made no sense to me that a kid's born to parents in Russia and moscow and i'm born in san francisco and we're supposed to not like each other that made absolutely no sense to me as a child and so i was completely kind of obsessed with the soviet union and i just had an opportunity to go and my dad was supposed to go with me and then he couldn't go for work reasons and i somehow have no idea this day how i talked my parents into it i mean i think by being just such a total pain in the ass that they had no choice um but they let me go and i went to the soviet union with a group of adults uh, in 1986, it was amazing. Did like, you ever feel? Some, did you ever feel threatened or uh, insecure? No, 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 no. I mean, there were some weird, scary, like just child. Like, I mean, like the two funny stories would be one that, like, I you know fought like hell to be able to go and like was totally such a pain that my parents finally relented. And then when the plane pulled out of San Francisco to go meet the group in Seattle, I was sitting there on the plane and I was just bawling like a terror, just pure, pure terror, right? As you would expect a 16-year-old to at that point and going without his parents. And the poor guy sitting next to me on the plane was like, have you ever flown before? You'll be okay. So I was like, I've flown a lot and just really scared of this trip. I'm going to the Soviet Union without my parents. Like, can you imagine? That guy's got to be like, what? (laughs) And then the other one that, like, you wonder about the group leaders on this one, but we got to Helsinki to connect to go to Kiev, and a Russian or Soviet team had gotten uh, needed the Soviet sports team needed the seats on the plane, so they they just arrived. They didn't have to get tickets. They just caught on the plane, and they bumped a bunch of us. So I actually got bumped. Well, at 16, as an unaccompanied minor in Helsinki, flying the Soviet Union. Suddenly, like at the time, I thought on my own, and. Um, 
And so, like, I remember them saying, oh, you don't have to worry about it. We'll get you a hotel, and we'll give you this money for dinner. We have a nice res- reservation for you at a really nice restaurant. And then I was like, I'll stay here. I'm good. I'll stay right here. I don't need to leave this airport under any circumstances. Yeah, your flight's not for, like, 40 hours. I was like, I'll stay here. I'll sleep in the airport. Like, I was so scared. Luckily, this was a super nice family. Um, actually, it was the Allsop family. Do you remember the Allsop tape cleaner, uh, like, CD cleaners and and cassette cleaners, and, and they made the Allsop uh, shock absorber pole. They was a really fascinating family. Anyway, they, they were there, and they took care of me, kind of took me under their wing. But, um, but it was kind of a funny turnaround. Like I was, you know, all my guts and fight with my parents, and then those two experiences, I was just, like, utterly terrified. So, you know, much bravado led to much, much tears. So, David, uh, let me ask you about uh, the series that opened last night. What, what do you make of it? When we talked with you earlier, you thought neither one of these teams – well, I don't want to speak for you, but my interpretation of what you said is that uh, they might not be necessarily top-quality championship-type quality. But uh, what do you make of what's happening? I might be wavering a little bit on Phoenix after last night. And, I mean, they were – they're really playing. I mean, Chris Paul – you know where Chris Paul is right now? Chris Paul's the player we always dreamed John Stockton would be, right? Like, we always wanted John to shoot more and shoot more and take over the game offensively with his 50% shooting and his great pull-up jump shot. And, like, that's what Chris Paul's doing right now. Conducting the game with the dominant passing, with the incredible understanding of angles. Like, he's so amazing. He does remind – he's the only player who reminds me of Stockton. He's the only point guard I've seen since Stockton reminds me of Stockton. There was a fast break last night. And it's such a simple, basic play, but so few guys do it. Just a fast break that he took all the way to one step inside the free throw line just to sag that defender so he could kick it back out to Mikel Bridges for open three. Like, it's just most guys are making that pass two steps earlier and then Mikel Bridges isn't open or they're taking it into the teeth of the defense and missing the layup. Like, he's just – he's the best since Stockton. He's the best – Angle player, ball mover, passer, conductor. He hit Devin Booker on a play last night for an, a three on the right wing off a – it was a pick-and-roll action with a pin down on the side. I don't even know how that pass got there. Like, I, I, I actually don't know how Devin Booker was open, and he actually wasn't. Just Chris Paul passed him open. Like, John Stockton used to pass guys open. I haven't seen anyone since Stockton. Maybe I'm forgetting Jason Kidd's ability. That would be kind of the other one. But – but Jason Kidd didn't have the shooting ability that Stockton and Chris Paul have. So Chris Paul, like 70-whatever, eight points in the last two games, he is just – that's incredible. At 36, it's even more remarkable. And then when you just – they're long and athletic, and DeAndre Ayton's bona fide. Phoenix Phoenix's pretty dang good. I, I don't – you know, I don't think they're probably one of the dominant teams, and maybe they'll come back next year and do it again if they do it this year. And I'll really eat crow for this comment, but I don't feel like they're one of the dominant teams, but I'm not sure the league is built right now for teams to be as dominant as some of the great teams we've seen. David, uh, to you and other math-oriented basketball people out there, mid-range has become a dirty word. Uh, and I, so I'm curious, to what do you think about the Suns, who are using the mid-range often and seemingly pretty effectively? I thought Toronto did this best a few years ago when Toronto basically with said to Kawhi Leonard, like, okay, you can shoot in the mid-range, and Kyle Lowry, you can shoot in the mid-range, and everybody else, shoot threes or at the rim. And so I think there's something to that in this in this conversation of, like, the mid-range is, yeah, if you want to shoot 50% or 53%, 
from the mid-range like some of these guys are, then of course you can shoot mid-range jumpers. The problem with the mid-range jumper is that the league average on that shot is 40%, and the league average on the floater is 40%. But if you're Trey Young, there's nothing about you that's average. And if you're Devin Booker, there's nothing about you that's average. And if, you know, and if you're Chris Paul, there's nothing about you that's average either. So in those circumstances, then I do think it's probably just fine. And there are some ways in which if you're using the entire floor – you're taxing the the floor differently and forcing the big and the defenses to play in a different manner, and so that gets you know that gets under that gets difficult for the defense to handle. So, so in those circumstances, I, I think that's fine. Like that makes that makes some sense. But I don't want Cam Johnson pulling up for a mid range. And if Jay Crowder takes one, I'm gonna have to you know <laughs> scream at him. And you know, frankly, DeAndre Ayton used to take 17 foot jump shots, and I don't need that either. So. Um, you know, if you're going to pick and pop, pop to three. If you're going to, if you're going to roll the basket, roll the basket. If you're going to drive, get to the basket. But if you're Devin Booker and Chris Paul, and you're, you know, for every time Chris Paul pulls up from 15 feet, he's probably also creating a slam dunk for DeAndre Eaton floating to the basket uh, or rolling to the basket. In that case, these are fine. Like they, they open up other opportunities, but it depends on personnel. Like nothing, nothing about this is static in that sense. So, David, other than uh, a quick heel by uh, Giannis, uh, what can Milwaukee do to, to beat that team? So, if I'm Milwaukee, the thing that's most concerning to me, and frankly, if I'm the Utah Jazz, maybe the thing that's most concerning to me is the fact that Brooke Lopez got played off the floor last night. Um, that, that would be the most bothersome thing to me of what happened in that game because Brooke Lopez makes Milwaukee – a little bit of, of, of who they are and what they do in the sense that he denies shots at the rim. He's able to take away, and then he's also able to spread to three, and then he can guard DeAndre Eaton. Like one of the things that was most telling is Milwaukee had its best success when Brooke Lopez was off the floor, and I think you'll see more and more of that in the series. Um, but when Chris Paul came on the pick and roll and they began to figure it out, DeAndre Eaton's rolling. The weak side defender coming in was Patrick Collinson. He's 6'4". DeAndre Eaton's 7-1. Brooke Lopez is on the floor, and they're able to play their drop big style, which they, they couldn't for much of the game. Well, even if you Or even if you bring Lopez up, that weak side defender might be Giannis, who's 7-1. Or it might even be, depending if you can move guys around, it could be Middleton or P.J. Tucker. But when it's suddenly you're playing small, and so now you're playing, you're switching, or when they switch, they got embarrassed, and when they still play drop big in that style – and they brought Giannis up a little higher, then Aiton's rolling the basket on a smaller guy. So um, I, I think, you know, DeAndre Aiton really becomes a force in this series. In his, if, they can play, if they're playing these guys off the floor so they can't go with their regular lineup and then they're able to keep DeAndre Aiton, that's a, that's, that's a big deal. Who's got the coaching advantage in the series, David? You know, I, I don't know. I, I, I think I think media is horrendous at evaluating coaching. How's that? Right? Because <laughs> Quinn Snyder had the coaching advantage on Tyron Lue, but Tyron Lue had the personnel versatility advantage on Quinn Snyder. So, like, the fact that Tyron Lue was able to go to one more move along the way that Quinn Snyder couldn't didn't have a match to, does that mean that Tyron Lue is a better coach than Quinn Snyder? Well, in that series, he pulled all the right levers – and Quinn didn't have a counter to his final lever. Is that so? I, I don't know. Like both these guys are fabulous. The fact is, there's 30 coaches in the NBA, 
25 of them are great. The five that are bad are so abundantly obvious when you watch them, and only a few of them are still employed. Only one of them I can think of. Um, and so I think that when you, you know, when you have Mike Budenholzer against Monty Williams, you got two pretty good coaches. And I'll give Monty Williams a lot of credit because I think one of the most undervalued aspects of coaching is getting guys to play hard and play together. Um, and when you like, that's what Nate McMillan did in Indiana. And then they went and got like Nate Yorkman and the guys didn't play hard anymore. And Indiana became terrible. And then Nate McMillan went to Atlanta. He's not an excess and it was genius. He builds a culture and they play hard. Monty Williams has always been that the Pelicans always played hard with Monty Williams. Some of his X's and O's were dreadful. He ran like big to big cross screens for Anthony Davis in the middle of the two thousands. Like, what are you doing? But if you watch him now, they've really evolved. He's evolved. He's taken the time in Oklahoma City and in San Antonio and going through the life tragedy he's been through. And he's they're running great stuff. That pick play I talked about earlier, a high pick and roll with a pin down on the weak side at the same time, that's a great set. Like, it's really hard to guard. Very reminiscent of stuff we run where you multiple players have to be acting right at the same time. So I don't think I have a coaching advantage in this one. And I'm certainly not with the Bucks fans who seemingly are critical of Mike Budenholzer. He's been pretty fabulous over the years. So, David, uh, you, you addressed this. Let me, let me take it a slightly different angle. Are you enjoying what you're seeing? Do you look forward to the games left in this series? Because earlier in the show, Jake and, uh, and Austin kind of, uh, they're, not, they're not that switched on by what's happening here. I find it really interesting. Where are you? Oh, I thought game one was was interesting. I mean, the Chris Paul story, I, I don't like Chris Paul a great deal. I think, you know, for whatever reason, probably none good. Um, you know, maybe back to rooting for Darren Williams against Chris Paul, right? Like, he's always been kind of our antagonist. But frankly, this story is becoming pretty amazing. 36 years old, playing the level he is, a game that seemingly has moved away from him, but he's mastered the art of the mid-range to such a point. The other one is just incredible. I mean, he simply never takes the ball to the rim anymore, and yet he's found a way to be successful. It's pretty awe-inspiring. Devin Booker's emergence. You know, DeAndre Aiden's kind of a pretty neat story, frankly. Everyone wants to talk Trey Young and Luka Doncic, and that's all anyone's ever talked about. Maybe Phoenix wasn't wrong with that pick, and he's the number one pick of the draft. And, you know, frankly, you know, Giannis, Giannis is the greatest story the league has. Like, anyone who's on into Giannis's life story. The kid sold trinkets on the streets in Greece. His brothers used to play games where they only one could be on the floor at the same time because they only had one pair of shoes between the three of them, right? Like Greece didn't classify them as citizens. The 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 way those African immigrants have been treated in Greece is is at times been despicable. Um, you know, I think it's he's and then he's come to the U.S. from his smoothie tweet on. It's one of the great stories in the league. So I find the personalities in this series are real. And the X's and O's in game one actually had a lot going on. Mike Budenholzer was scrambling in every which way. And Monty Williams had an answer for all of them. David, I have no idea why I'm asking you this question, but it just popped into my mind. Who do you think is the most overrated NBA player? Who does the public love that mm. really isn't that good? Oh, that's fascinating. Off the top of my head, Kyrie needs to win pretty soon um, on his own before he gets, or else he's going to get classified as someone who's detrimental to his team. Russell Westbrook in the long term, I think, is probably the player you're talking about just because he's so inefficient um, offensively. Um, 
trying to think of who else is on my inefficient offensive players that everyone likes so much. Um, you know what? Sorry, Jake. You, I don't have a. I didn't have a lot of time before that one to think about it. I blindsided I mean, you with my, it. My good. initial instinct is probably Westbrook, but like on one thing I would say about Westbrook is Russell Westbrook forces his teammates to play at an incredibly high level, and his teams win games, right? So like. I think, you know, they prob- he's a detriment in his inefficiency offensively and his lack of interest defensively, and I think he at times would be a tough teammate to play with because you aren't allowed to grab a rebound. Um, but he so plays he, hard. I mean, he, you can't he question how so, hard he plays. Right. He plays yeah. so hard and with such force that he forces – like, if he was on the Jazz, we have a pretty team that's generally play hard, and I would say that every single player on our team would play harder – if Russell Westbrook was on the team. And I'd also say that the amount of players you can say that about in this league are like four. Yeah, right. I agree with that. So it's pretty hard to call Russell. Russell. So Russell Westbrook, I would say his numbers are the most, like, I pop a balloon in those. I'm pretty uninspired by him. But him as a player, I'm, it's pretty great. It was DeMar DeRozan for me for a long time, but he's actually changed. I would have on with LaMarcus Aldridge for a while, but he retired, so I don't really, I, I don't have one for you. David, I'll try to prepare this for next time. <laughs> uh, David, map out the Jazz's offseason for us, especially uh, circling the uh, negotiation with Mike Conley and then the draft uh, picking 30th. What, 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 what do you think is the best course of action? I, I think the first course of action actually is to move out of the 30 spot, having a guaranteed contract on the 30th pick of the draft is not ideal for us. If somebody's willing to take that pick from us and we can go get a second-round pick or move in some capacity, I think that would probably be a good thing for us at the luxury tax. The chance of that player being able to contribute, having that number locked in for two or three years is not a value to us. The chance that the 30th pick is going to have an impact on winning over the next two or three years, it seems unlikely. So the first thing I would say is you try to move that to give you some roster flexibility and tax flexibility. The second is obviously you've got to read Mike Conley's wishes. Like, is Mike Conley interested in coming back? There's nine point guards that could start in the NBA that have an opportunity to change teams this league. There's three, maybe four franchises that have cap space that are little legitimate playoff teams. There's maybe two that are legitimate title contenders, maybe one. And then there's some sign and trade things. I think if, and, you know, the question's going to be, is somebody going to offer Mike such an obscene number that he it, it blows the jazz out of the water and it's just a bad move? If, if someone doesn't do that and you can kind of keep in the ballpark, the jazz are probably as good an option. Dallas would be the one question mark there that might be a better option. Or does Mike just have a really big desire to have a, a large market experience? Chicago has cap money. Um New York has cap money. Those teams could, could jump and board. That's the first thing you've got to know. But quite frankly, there's another thing I think the Jazz have to know, and this is, you know, this is the cruelty of the business because we love all these guys. But I think the Jazz have to run around the horn with Jordan Clarkson, with Boyan Bogdanovich, with Joe Ingles, maybe with Royce O'Neal. That, frankly, I find that contract almost too good to trade. Um, all of those Derek Favors and see what other – options the Jazz have. And if they don't have any other options at that point, then, you know, you have to consider whether maybe the way you're changing the roster is a sign and trade with Mike Conley. If that's, you know, if that's, um, 
if that's the one thing. I mean, I, I, I would I would assume that you can try to do some other things. And, and the other question would be, you know, whether or not you you actually do want to change your roster or not. Maybe the feeling is you don't you don't need to change your roster that much um, in what you're doing. Is is instead is that you're um, is that you're you're sorry uh, that you're that you're you know you decide your roster's good enough. We were the best team in the regular season. We got a bad matchup, and you're fine. But it, it, it's pretty complicated. But I do think you have to run around the league and see what Joe Ingles, Boyan Bogdanovich, Jordan Clarkson, Derek Favors, and Royce O'Neal will yield you. Because if the answer is nothing. Then you have to approach the Mike Conley situation possibly different because you have to know at that point if we're re-signing Mike Conley, we're running the exact same team back. Okay, that's fine, or we're not fine with that. We need to do something else. David, as always, thank you very much. We appreciate you. Okay, talk to you soon. See you, buddy. It's our friend David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz. More coming up next. Stay tuned, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.